Welcome, everybody. Uh, Travel Ruly Podcast is back. Um, we took a little detour. Uh, today, we have my partner and I on, Jeff Bartholomew. Um, <clears throat> today, we wanted to talk about uh, the trip we just had in July. Uh, we, we took our trip to Scotland. It was my first trip. Um, so, Jeff was very excited to get me into St. Andrews. We went to his home course in uh, Murray, Murray Golf Club. Uh, so I got to experience um, a couple big courses, a couple uh, private courses, got the whole experience. We did get to play Dumbarney as well, so I got the big um, championship-style course as well. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, first-time goers, what you should expect, uh, and um, really excited. We, we uh, had some good conversations, some good stuff that you would need to know whether you're wanting to start the planning process or whether you're in the planning process and how um, to better prepare yourself for your trip. So uh, thank you guys and enjoy. Hey, thanks for that introduction. I really appreciate it. We're excited to be here with all of you again. And today the topic is what to expect on your first trip to play Lynx Golf. And there's no one better to ask that question of than Hayden, who just returned. And if you didn't know that, all you have to do is look at his hat. He's wearing a 150th Open, which is where the Open was in July at St. Andrews. So, Hayden, I know that this was your first trip, and you just returned from playing Lynx Golf. How was it? Uh, it was a lot different. Um, obviously, we've done a, a lot of podcasts with people um, talking about what I should expect my first trip. And it was all correct. Um, the course plays a lot different. The weather's different. The people, the places, the buildings. Um, it, it was, I sort of expected it, but it didn't get really get real uh, until I, I'm there and experiencing, you know, the culture of Scotland. So um, I'm excited to uh, reminisce today. Excellent. Excellent. So you went to Scotland. Uh, we went with... Uh some clients of ours. It was a wonderful trip. And you got to spend time in St. Andrews. What are your impressions of St. Andrews? Well, immediately when I got there, uh, well, we went straight to the open on Friday. So um, being able to see the atmosphere of an open championship, uh, all the people coming, um, the crowds, uh, it was really surreal in that moment. And, and that was the first time I, I'd seen a course and I'm walking up to the old course and I just see everybody, uh, the guys on the course playing and people watching. And um, I wasn't expecting to feel like that for sure. I wasn't expecting to feel so overwhelmed with like how cool everything was and how real like the moment of being on one of the oldest courses ever. Um, it hit me for sure. Excellent. Well, yeah, you also got to spend some time in and around St. Andrews. Did you enjoy the town of St. Andrews? Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of the parts I like is is there's not really a – there's a very small pro shop with some some merchandise, but right outside the course is just lines of uh, merchandise stores where people are selling all kinds of um, St. Andrews uh, merchandise and, and apparel. And, you know, pubs right there next to the course – uh, you walk off of 18 and there's there's a pub down into a, a little alley. Um, and then there's the Dunvegan that's right on the corner. 
and that place we we never saw it without 200 people inside we we barely found a seat every single time um but uh the city is nothing like i've ever experienced before so being my first scotland city to see um st andrews was it just felt way different than than anything i've ever experienced before um the the type of buildings that you see i made a i made a joke it's like you know you're you're in game of thrones it's it's like a actual show um <laughs> so that was kind of funny i'll probably thought i was dumb but that's kind of what no, i've experienced i fully understand that yeah when i tell people about st andrews and the university i say i, I say just think of hogwarts that's what it looks like to me. So we put together a, a really fun trip, I thought, I think. And how did it meet your expectations? Did it meet your expectations? Uh, it definitely met my expectations. And, and I think my expectations are strictly from what I hear from you and the other guys that have been. Uh, that it's just, it, it feels different um, walking these courses, um, the look of it. And it definitely met my expectations and exceeded them. I, I would say they, they it definitely exceeded, uh, even though I played terrible that week and we'll, we'll get into that later, but. <laughs> well, what surprised you the most about your trip? Oh, let's see what surprised me the most. Um, well, I was surprised that we didn't get any bad weather. That was pretty good. Everybody, everybody we talked to was bring your rain suit and, prepare for for bad weather and we we got pretty lucky so i was surprised about that every single day i was like i wanted to experience a storm like playing in a storm and having to put my rain suit on because <laughs> that's always what everybody talks about yeah but uh, we had what 60 70 degree weather every day we had a little bit of rain in like 10 minute increments um we had the one day we never put our rain gear on, did we? No, no, we didn't. Yeah. I put on a rain jacket for 10 minutes and took it off because it was too hot. Um, and then the wind, uh, we didn't really have any kind of crazy wind until we got to Fortress um, in Rosemarkey. Uh, so that was that was an experience. But uh, I was waiting on it. Well, we, we'll talk more about that. But, you know, we really want to focus on how we can help people better understand what they can expect when they get over there for the first time. And uh, I know that you created some questions for me that you wanted to ask. So why don't we launch into uh, some of those questions? Yeah. Yeah. One of the first thing we wanted to talk about was uh, when you're thinking about your first trip, how do you choose from the different countries? So uh, we do trips to Scotland, England, Ireland, and Wales. So go kind of go through each of them and the differences of them. Okay. Yeah, I think a lot of people default to uh, Scotland or Ireland. You know, I think on people's initial trip, that's probably 85, 90% of what we do is book trips to Scotland, Ireland for first yeah. time. But uh, we'd like to flip that. And uh, and I can, I can talk about all the differences. But, you know, let's start with Scotland. Scotland's the home of golf. It's on everybody's bucket list. Most people, not everyone, but a lot of people want to play the old course at St. Andrews. And uh, that's a tough get. Uh, getting a tee time there can be very difficult um, and or very expensive. So 
Um, there are a lot of wonderful courses in Scotland, including a lot of other open championship courses like Carnoustie and Troon and Turnberry and Muirfield. So those are all there and those are uh, all available to be played as well. Um, but Scotland is the home of golf and uh, it's an amazing place. There are more golf courses there per capita. And in Scotland, what we find is that the golf is very uh, egalitarian. It, there's not a caste system where, uh, you know, you can't, you have to be in a certain class to join a club or to play. It's uh, for the most part, it's, it's open to everyone. So you'll play golf with, in clubs like mine, you'll play with a doctor, a lawyer, a milkman, a postman, uh, a woman, butcher. Who owns, yeah, a butcher, <laughs> a hairdresser, all of those. So um, Scotland's very uh, egalitarian. I think with Ireland, what you get is they're known for their hospitality. So um, we love Ireland. We love the courses there. And uh, they like like Scotland, they've got a tremendous amount of Lynx golf courses. And we think that's, that Ireland's a wonderful place, not only because you can play around certain centers like Dublin, Northern Ireland. There's a, there's a host of courses up there. Um, the south of Ireland has some, some great courses. The west is coming up with some, some nice courses. But I know you'll agree we're very high on the northwest of Scotland where you've got Three tremendous courses at uh, Rossapenna. You've got Port Salon. You've got um, the redone Nairn and Portneau course. And you've got Cruyff <clears throat> Island. Uh, it's a wonderful area that's really undiscovered. So we want to see a lot of people go there. And we'll be announcing a trip there in the not too different future, not too distant future, to up there. Now, England, we particularly like. England is really has some amazing courses. So one of the trips we've got scheduled for next year, we've got a father and son who are going and we've got them um, booked into the West coast, Northwest coast. So they'll be able to pull it, play Royal Liverpool, Royal Lytham, Royal Birkdale um, and Southport Nainsdale. So you've got three open championship courses and you also have um, a Ryder cup venue. Then we'll transport them over to the other side of the country and they'll play. Uh, there are three other open championship courses there. You've got Royal St. George's, Royal Sinkports, and you've got Princess. So seven courses in two areas that have amazing pedigrees. And around there, there are other courses as well. So you've got Rye and Littlestone over on the East Coast. Um, and there are a lot of clubs around London. So we booked these these folks into Rye, into uh, Woodhall Spa, which we're excited about. But again, another area that we think is really undiscovered and, and just amazing golf is down in the southwest of England. You've got Cornwall and Devon, uh, large counties with amazing golf courses like St. Enidoc, uh, Westward Ho, Ganton, um, and the list goes on. There's some amazing golf down there, less crowded, and just a beautiful part of the UK. And then finally, we've got Wales, another place that we're very high on. And uh, Wales is, is a really interesting place. In the north, a lot of people up there still speak Welsh. So you'll run into that. 
And if you're a uh, soccer or football fan, you'll know that there's Ryan Reynolds and um, I forget the other gentleman's name, uh, bought a, a football club up yeah, there called Wrexham. So uh, that's fun. Um, and that's not too far from some wonderful golf courses up north like Royal St. David's and Conway um, and others. And going down the coast, you've got um, Aberdovey, and then you get down to Pennard and Tenby and um, Southern Down and Ashburnham and Royal Porthcall. And I apologize if I'm leaving any out, but these are amazing golf courses, very friendly people, beautiful settings. And it's typically a lot more affordable than the other three countries that I just mentioned. So uh, it's it's a wonderful value when you go to Wales. So yeah, four uh, great countries, all wonderful. Uh, we love all four. We've been to all four. And some of those some of those uh, courses, um, I believe, are private. Can you go over um, if you're able to get how hard it is to get on some of these private courses, and if you're allowed to? Yeah, that's a great question. The vast majority of courses, well, I would say they fall into two categories. They fall into championship resort courses. So courses like Castle Stewart, uh, Trump International in Scotland, uh, Dunbarney, Kings Barnes, uh, Dundonald. These are all wonderful championship style links courses that are resort courses. So anyone can play. Virtually, well, and then St. Andrews is technically a public course. It's owned by the town of St. Andrews. It's held by the St. Andrews Links Trust. But the vast majority of courses are private. And so when you go to a club, I remember them telling me, we're, hey, we're giving you a temporary one-day membership to be a member. So um, you know that we played at my golf club, which is Murray up north. And that's a private club, but they allow visitors. Uh, Carnoustie is a private club. They allow visitors. Royal Troon, Prestwick, private clubs that allow visitors. So. Um, and does that make it harder to get tea times? Or does that does, mean you only have an allotment of tea times for you? It, it does make it hard. So they, they've got large memberships typically. Their members want to play at the prime times. So it can be difficult to get times on the weekends. So what we typically do is book our guests onto uh, members courses during the week and on those championship or resort courses on the weekend. One that's particularly difficult to get on in Scotland is Muirfield. Uh, they're only available, uh, tea times are on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and those are very limited. That's a very difficult uh, course to get a tea time at. And uh, when you look at the other countries, it's very similar. So, uh, but I would say even more so, more heavily weighted towards private clubs. So when you think about all those courses I named in Scotland, or excuse me, in, in uh, Wales and England, they are all uh, private courses. Um, when I think about Ireland, as I go down the list of courses over there, uh, they're all, they're largely private as well. The courses at Rasa Pena, they're, they've got uh, 54 holes. And while they do have a club, they've, there's no way that the, the membership could fill all three courses. So they're very open. Yeah. Especially since, uh, they, since they just added, added a whole new course. <laughs> so, Right. A very highly ranked course too, by the way. Yeah. So 
you know, they make you feel very welcome in those clubs. So, yeah. And then on the other side of it, um, the open championship courses, can you explain the difference of how they treat you there and the feel that you're going to get at a championship course rather than a private club? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. And when you think about it, when you go to Carnoustie or Turnberry or um, Throne or Royal St. George's or um, Royal Port Rush, these are big clubs with big time memberships. And um, so what happens is it's most people want to play those big courses, right? So they want to go to these uh, courses that have hosted majors or courses that are just really highly renowned, like Bally Bunyan. Um, that's never held a, a major, obviously. Uh, Royal County Down is another that's never held a major. St. Enadoc in um, England hasn't hosted a major. Royal Porthcall in Wales hasn't hosted a major. So uh, it's, a, it's hosted a Ryder Cup, not a major. So people want to play these big courses, and we understand that. But it's a completely different experience than what you would find at a what we would call members club. A members club being a club like, oh, say, Dukes in Ireland or um, Hillside or Formby in England, Murray in Scotland, Crail, Ealing in Scotland. These are all wonderful courses where you, you sit down after the round with a, you know, for a pint with members. The other thing, and and many instances you get to play with local members which is really fun so it's a completely different experience and it's one that is more local than the big championship courses so we like to suggest that our guests try a little above so if you're going to play st andrews and carnisti mix in ely or crail or london links um throw in king barn king's barn and dumbarney but Make it a mix and not just the big championship courses. Yeah. Um, my first round, uh, you put me with a former captain of the course and a um, the captain of the course. And it was a really good start to my, you know, Lynx um, golf and, and, and Scotland experience because those guys I'd, I've never met you know, a Scottish, you know, right. And, and, and it, it was great that I'm playing on their course, their home course. Um, they're telling me about the holes. They're telling me about the city. Uh, they're telling me things about Scotland that I would have ever known. And I was just like, wow. Um, so I think that experience really, um, was amazing. And it was, it was actually one of the top parts of my trip was being able to play with those guys. Excellent. Uh, I had a great time. I'm glad to hear that. I, I couldn't agree more. But that reminds me, you also got to play the next day. You played Cullen. Yeah, yeah. It's a really remote, little known course. What What are your reflections on playing Cullen? <clears throat> well, when we we get there, what it was uh, nine twenty a.m. Um, the clubhouse is you know tiny. It's not what you're there for. You're there for the views. You're there for uh, the experience of the the course, the the funky holes. Um, I, we just walked out. Remember, we walked out there. There was yeah. the clubhouse wasn't open. We paid after. The the, uh, the locals there were like, "Yeah, you're good. You'll just have to come in after." 
Uh, there's normally nobody here till like 11. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I watched the the video of the um, who's the group that did the video for Cookie Jar. Uh, yeah, they yeah. So they they played the course, um, and they're like, man, you get to the second home and boom, right away you got 50 yards straight uphill par three, 110 yard par three that plays. Or it was like a 70-yard par three that plays 110. Um, and I I barely made it up the hill. Um, but yeah, some of those holes were crazy. Uh, one was 50 yards downhill. You have two par threes in a row, blind shot over a rock um that I almost made a hole in one on, actually. Right, exactly. We had uh one of our buddies wasn't playing that day, or he was on and off because of an injury, but he went and stood on top of the rock that we were hitting over. Um, and I think if you jumped, you could see the flag, but then you had to go back down. Uh, and he said it, it, it lipped out. Uh, <laughs> that would have been an amazing first hole in one. If we could have, if I could have pulled a blind that shot, hole in one. Yeah. That would have been nice with yeah. eyewitness too. Yeah. That would have been amazing. Yeah. So Cullen, well, my, but the point, the reason I wanted to bring that up is people don't think about places like Cullen or Murray yeah. or trail and um i tell people that's one of the most fun rounds of golf i've ever had i mean it was quirky as can be but it's it was pure fun and we mm -hmm. played with six clubs right? yeah well, and we played um five people too like we just yeah, we played a five with with six clubs and yeah you know, there wasn't that many people out there if there was we let them pass and it was it was no big deal and um we had a great time that was a really good day yeah so what else you got for me? I yeah, yeah. So uh, we didn't. We never played more than eighteen holes, uh, and I think that that was a very smart thing. Uh, I played eight days in a row, eighteen holes. There was one day where <laughs> we're in the clubhouse with a couple beers, and we're like, "We should go play nine more holes." But uh, <laughs> that's and not. You did we did? And it, it was great. Um, but eighteen holes a day for eight days, uh, even at my age was, was a good amount. I think we had enough time to experience the rest of, um, Scotland and, and experience restaurants. Uh, what do you suggest for amount of golf that you play in a week? If you're going on a trip? Yeah, that's a great question. I guess that's a two part question. First of all, you know, what's interesting is you can go out and play, they, they have uh, reduced rates if you play a second round in many instances. Obviously, at my club, you can go out and play for free. And uh, Half the time, I think the, the price was a day pass. Right. Yeah, so, yeah you're um, right. Sometimes it's a day pass. Yeah. Um, I was booking a trip earlier today for some guys that are going to Cruden Bay. And they've got a second nine-hole course called St. Olaf. And uh, if you, you can play that. At no charge um, after your round if you choose to, yeah. Nice. But I think, you know, the one thing we would discourage is 36 a day. I think what people forget is that you're walking six to seven miles around. And if you're there for um, 10 days, you're walking 140 miles, right? Most people aren't used to walking 140 miles in 10 days, but... Um, even for us, we walked, I think, I think you calculated over 40 miles in 
the eight days that we were playing. Or, yeah, including the Open, we it was around 40, 50. Yeah. So, you know, what, what we like to see is that people leave some room for um, some excursions, some activities outside of golf, whether that's traditional Irish music, visiting a distillery, visiting a brewery like we did, which was great, um, going to uh, trout fishing, fly fishing, uh, off-roading in a Range Rover. Um, Even visiting a, a small fishing colony that was a great experience as well. Uh, that was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, going to some of the small fishing villages on the Murray Coast or down in the East Nuke of Fife is a great thing to do. So, um, we, you know, if you're there for eight days, we like to see people take two days off. So the day you arrive, we don't like booking people to play that first day. You're dealing with jet lag, they're tired. And then one day off in the middle of the week, and then we'll book them into a museum or a distillery or a guided tour of Dublin or what have you. So, yeah, we don't, we don't like to recommend <laughs> We would never recommend 36 a day. Nice. Um, and a lot of people don't know that uh, there's no golf carts in Scotland. I mean, a lot of people do know that, but um, I think you, there's only like a couple at each course and you have to have a doctor's note. So, you know, talk about walking versus the cart. And I honestly think that it was better um, using a trolley you know, at home, you want to, you want to get done fast. You're playing these courses that you play all the time. And, um, you know, the cart is to keep the pace, but being able to walk and experience, um, the views, the water, the ocean, uh, the, the people and, and enjoy the course. I think walking is actually better. Yeah. You want to well, talk about a little bit about like why there's no carts? Yeah. I mean, over there, as you said, Golf's a walking game, and there are very few carts available. And if you do get a cart, you got to have a doctor's note. And so um, it is a walking game, and you have to be prepared for that. So you've got to be fit, meaning that um, I've got some clients. I should say I. We have some clients going in uh, two and a half, three weeks, and they're walking every day trying to get – making sure that they're in shape, not trying to get in shape, but – getting used to walking that many miles yeah. relatively short period of time. And it's a whole different perspective. So, you know, what we try to get people to do is to walk, take a caddy if they'd like on the courses that have them, take a push cart, which they call a trolley over there. Um, if you want a buggy, which is what they call a golf cart, you got to have a, if you said a doctor's note, but what we're trying to get away from is being the ugly American in a golf cart with a cigar and a hot dog. And where's the, they don't have cart girls. You know, the other thing that we haven't talked about that uh, makes you want to make sure that you're in good shape is one, you're walking, but two, the majority of courses that are links courses are out and back. So ours thinking about the States tend to be loops where you make the front loop, come back to the clubhouse make the second loop and the clubhouse. Yeah. Most courses there, St. Andrews is an example. You go out nine holes, turn around, come back nine holes. Murray, where I'm a member, out nine holes, back nine holes. Right? It doesn't uh, produce these that way. The vast majority don't come back to the clubhouse until you're done. So 
Yeah, that's one uh, thing. There that, are some courses that do have, for lack of a better term, a halfway house out there in the middle to get a cup of coffee or a soft drink or a candy bar or something. Uh, you know, Carnoustie's got that. Um, uh, St. Andrews has that. Right before the 10th hole, they've got a, uh, a spot where you can get, you know, something to eat if you need. But for the most part, you, you better pack it in your bag. Yeah, we ran into that a couple times where we're on hole number eight. <clears throat> we're, you know, about a two hours walk back <laughs> back to the clubhouse and we ran out of water. Um, so we were definitely prepared the rest of the days um, for, for water and any kind of snacks. So that's another thing to think about for sure. Yeah, I, I paid five, uh, one kid five pounds to get me a water. That's right. Uh, at that tournament we were in, but yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's uh let's talk about weather. And I know I already spoke a little bit about how we got really lucky. Um, but obviously you've been twenty-five other years of of Scotland and Ireland. What kind of weather can you expect? Uh and I do want to hear some some stories about the worst weather you've had. Okay, well let's start with that. The worst weather I had, I was in Ireland, southern Ireland in June, and it snowed. In June. Yeah. Love it. Snowed and hailed. I mean, literally, I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> uh, you might recall uh, the Open at Muirfield close to 20 years ago. And I remember it, it was howling wind, extremely cold, temperatures in the 40s, maybe the high 30s. Players were we wearing those winter gloves, mitten-like uh, things. They had stocking caps on, heavy coats. It was crazy. And you never know what you're going to get over there. And so you want to be well prepared, right? So in my bag, I keep everything that I need. I've got rain gloves. I've got a waterproof bucket hat, waterproof jacket, waterproof pants, um, waterproof golf shoes. The waterproof jacket and pants are especially good over there not just for rain but wind right so or if it's cool yeah. right it helps insulate so a good set of waterproofs is really important over there and you know it, like we were there it never got above 72 so we were in scotland in july it never got above 72 now it never got below 55 uh, well, maybe a couple nights. One, it was like one day we had a cold day. Yeah, also. but okay, but still, people aren't expecting it to be that cold. We couldn't wear shorts every day, right? Mm -hmm. So you needed to be prepared for that. So what we recommend is being extremely well prepared and carrying that gear with you every round, even when the weather forecast is no rain. Yeah. could get windy, rain could pop up. It's an island in the middle of the North Atlantic. Anything can happen, and you want to be prepared. People over there talk about you're going to get four seasons in one day sometimes. So you want to be well prepared. <clears throat> and, you know, people ask this question a lot. Doesn't it rain a lot in the spring? Well, in reality, um, sometimes it's the opposite over there. There are parts of Scotland where the rainiest month is October versus the springtime. And the difference in rainfall isn't that great month to month. So 
we don't think that people should avoid going based on what the projected rainfall might be. The other thing to consider around the weather is the amount of sunlight. So June, July, and August have tremendous amounts of sunlight. So sun doesn't go down until after 10 p.m. and it comes up early. So in it was July, close to it was close to 11 p.m. We're like right. I could be golfing right now. It's it was 11. I've golfed in in darker weather, <laughs> right? Than when it was exactly. 11 p.m. Exactly, Hayden. And if you're, you know, they've got tee times as late as six o'clock, and you can get 18 holes in after six walking. Yeah. So uh, that's that's the one major difference that's related to the weather is that the spring and the fall have less daylight, which doesn't impact us that much because we don't want to play 36. What it does impact is the number of tee times available. So it's not that big of a deal, but yeah. I think what helped um, with me is I kept a a very small rain jacket um, in my bag, like one that you can just ball up and I left it there the whole week. Uh, And I used it three or four times where I didn't know I was going to need it where a pop-up storm came, I put it on for 30 minutes uh, and I just kept it in my bag. So that'd be another thing that I would um, advise for sure. Right. right. Good call. Um, what about wind? Um, we had uh, an experience of wind where uh, I play a draw and I play a five-yard draw maybe sometimes. And I-, I hit that shot and it went about 30 yards. Right. Um so we got unlucky. I think that the wind was side to side, I think. And they said it's not normally like that. Um, or it was a different direction. I don't know. But when we played Fortress and Rosemarkey, we got up to probably 30, 35 yeah. mile per hour. Uh, our drives, you had no idea. You just hit and pray that you hit it far enough. Um but that was fun. Tell me about some experiences in, with the wind and maybe stuff that you have to do to uh, combat it. Yeah, that's a great question. What, what we recommend is that before you go on a trip, that for at least a month in advance, you go to your local driving range at, at your club or elsewhere and practice hitting low, low trajectory shots. you got to keep the ball under the wind. I think the other thing is that you need to embrace the wind. Right. It's going to be, you're going to get wind over there typically. So learn to enjoy it as opposed to fight it. And that's a key to, to uh, playing well over there is not trying to overpower, uh, overpower your ball. And they've got a saying over there when it's breezy, swing easy. And, um, you know, uh, in a lot of instances, if you hit a fade or a big draw, you're going to want to leave that driver in the bag because if it gets up high, it's going if you go anywhere. We both lost our balls and um the one no. par five that the ocean was on the left, the wind was going right to left, and we both hit our you hit your three wood draw shot and we both it just took off. I couldn't yeah, well, aim far I enough found right. mine though. In the rocks. <laughs> I still made par. But you're right, you're right, Hayden. You know, when you think about it, here's what's interesting. On, on our trip at Fortros, or that round there, I left my driver in the bag. I hit my three wood once, and I hit it out of play. Yeah, the, the, I was hitting two hybrid all day long and hitting it well. 
Not 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 as far as as you might with a driver. He's still one. <laughs> I didn't lose any balls, and there were par fours. This is an important lesson where I was hitting eight iron off the tee because I was directly downwind, and it would still leave leave me a gap wedge. Why would I hit anything more? Right. So there's a part about playing smart, embracing the wind, not trying to overpower the course. And I remember the first, I mean, I remember the first five years I was over there fighting the wind and shooting a hundred, right? Uh, I, I mean, there's no excuse for that. You just got to put the driver away or yeah. you need to hit something to <clears throat> in the middle of the fairway or out of the gorse, out of the ocean, what have you. I remember the first time, the first round that I played after I joined Murray. I played it two days in a row. The 15th holes of par three, maybe, um, God, I would say 175 yards. And I birdied it two days in a row. The first day I birdied it downwind with an eight iron. The next day I birdied it into the wind with a two hybrid so a six club difference on the same hole right yeah one day apart so that you got to be prepared for the weather be prepared for the wind yeah yeah um that definitely brought some challenges for for us that day uh so <laughs> be prepared another thing um that we're going to go over is is driving on the wrong side of the road I remember when I first got into a car for the first time and I have forgotten about it. You started driving um, and I was legitimately scared that you were <laughs> driving on the wrong side of the road. Um, but once I figured that out, I still was scared because every single turn you do, um, I'm thinking, um, you know, this is wrong. I just feel this is wrong. So what do you recommend for people going over? Never had experience driving on the other side of the road. Uh, I, I would suggest getting a driver, but what do you say? Yeah. Well, I think it it depends. So there are a number of factors. One is budget, right? Can you afford to have one of our drivers? It's not that expensive, but it is more expensive than driving your own vehicle. Now, a couple of thoughts. Um, I had a client recently or prospect who said, hey, we've been looking at your at your quote and we think that um, that we're going to drive ourselves. And I said, well, you know, what, why did you make that choice? And they said, well, we can get a, a nine passenger van and squeeze us all in. And I said, well, you can't. Um, a, a nine passenger van over there will comfortably accommodate four golfers with all their clubs and their baggage. So it barely made five fit. Yeah, you could get you could you could get a fifth in there, but you you certainly couldn't get a sixth. Not comfortable. No. So um, if you've got a foursome, you could drive yourself. If you've got a sixsome, you're gonna have to hire someone to drive, meaning we, we would drive you around. And uh, when you get to eight, it's it's a break even cost wise. It's going to be the same as if you had two vehicles or yeah. a giant vehicle. But the other big issue there, Hayden, is that Americans can't get a license to drive a twelve seater over there. 
the maximum we can drive is a nine seater. So, um, you know, driving on the wrong side of the road for the first time can be unsettling, particularly if you have pa other passengers in the car. If it's, you know, if it was you in a small, you know, Honda driving on the wrong side of the road by yourself, you weren't concerned about anyone else's safety, you'd probably be fine. But when you've got others in a vehicle, it's a big vehicle, um, it can be difficult. Take into account, too, that you're landing early in the morning. You may not have slept well on the flight. You may have a three-hour drive ahead of you. You know, is you're also driving on the wrong side of the car. So right, driving on the wrong that side of the road. Right? And you know, if you've got a manual shift, you're shifting with the left hand instead of the right. Yes, the paddles pedals are just like they are here, but you are shifting with your left hand. Um, the other thing about driving over there, they're very serious about drunk driving. So you can't, you, you can't drive after drinking. The other thing is that uh, there are roundabouts everywhere. And uh, if you haven't driven on a roundabout, particularly one that's six lanes, that's you know, merging into the roundabout, <clears throat> going 30 or 40 miles an hour, that can be a hair-raising experience. If you're staying outside of busy city centers, um, like we would never recommend someone driving in London, but if you're driving around um, Edinburgh, it's it's difficult. Um, Dublin is difficult. The rest isn't so bad, right? When you get out outside of those big cities, it's not that bad. But um, yeah, besides, you know, it's up to you. We, we're, we're comfortable having our drivers. Um, safely drive you around. The other thing, you know, our vans, we we stock with sandwiches and, and beer. So when you get in after round, you just sit down, have a beer, have a sandwich, um, enjoy the round and not, not be worried about having to drive. What were those uh, little cookie things that y'all had? Mm. Yeah, we like to load our car with two things, Pringle, cans of Pringles, and hobnobs. Hobnobs. That's what they're cookies, but they call them uh, digestive biscuits. So we think they're healthy. They're like wheat wheat biscuits covered with chocolate and or caramel. And they're very another, healthy. Yeah. Another thing, if you're going to drive a van by yourself with what three other people, half of the time we were on a one lane road. Um, so every what quarter mile, there's a, a place to stop. And these turns are, you're not going to see the corner and a, a van is very, uh, it's going to be large. It's going to be scary. Right. So it's another thing to think about. Right. Yeah. So uh, a lot of these, we were talking about the private courses, the open courses earlier. A lot of these courses, the bigger names are going to have caddies. Um, me being a caddy back in the day, I would say always get a caddy and always tip them well. But We'll, we'll hear from you on uh, when you suggest to have a caddy, um, how much it usually costs, what you should, what you should expect. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So um, there are a number of factors of why you would take a caddy, right? Cause you could take a push cart. Push carts are, those trolleys are like four or five pounds around. Unless but, your father-in-law is paying for it. <laughs> Well, good point. But I think the uh, if you get a caddy, 
Uh, they can be, uh, they range in price depending upon where you are, uh, upwards of $80. And uh, you throw in a $20 tip, it's 100 bucks. I would budget 100 bucks if you're taking a caddy. Yeah. So um, if you're playing 10 rounds and you want 10 caddies, that's 1000 bucks. If you, uh, what we recommend is that people take caddies on championship courses. So if you're playing uh, Bally Bunyan or Royal Fourth Call or Royal St. George's or Carnoustie, by all means, take a caddy. And they'll have plenty of them. And uh, they add to the experience. Everyone should take a Scottish caddy or an Irish caddy or an English caddy or a Welsh, Welsh caddy at least once. They're fantastic, right? They're, they make the trip more memorable. They're a local tour guide, basically. They'll tell you where to eat, where to, you know, what pub to get a beer in, and uh, so on. And uh, the other thing is they probably save a couple of strokes per side in reading putts, telling you where to hit, where not to hit. So if you're betting money, you might even just break even. Right. I would. We would recommend, uh, we love caddies. The stories they tell, some of the funniest stories I've ever heard have come <clears> from <throat> caddies uh, on links courses. So um, if you can afford it, we would recommend them. One other note, some of the smaller clubs. Now, this could be a good thing. Um, I'll take uh, Crail or Ely or Murray. Uh, you know, courses that I've played a fair amount. They don't have caddies, uh, not professional caddies. When you say, hey, I want a caddy, I can tell you from my experience at Murray, I get an email along with 100 other people. Hey, would you like, we're looking for caddies next Tuesday. Would you like to caddy? So they're getting local members to be caddies at almost everywhere but the big championship courses. So, you know, if you want a caddy, you're going to get a local. It's going to be, it, it'll be a great experience. So if you can afford it, take them everywhere, but uh, certainly take them on the big ones. Yeah. I mean, imagine being at one of these open courses that uh, maybe the old course and you have a caddy that's telling you, um, you know, Tiger birdied this hole. He was in that bunker, got up and down to win the open. Yeah, um, yeah that's a great that's a great like that. point. That's a great point, Hayden. We did that at Royal Burkdale. Our caddies, we were a three ball, and the caddies said, Do you want to play 18 from the championship tees? And we're looking around us like, where could they be? And there's a this tall grass raised up on the back, and they go up there. So we went back there and we played. This was shortly after. They'd had a, a, a champ, a, an open championship there. So um, we all played it. We all birdied it from back there, which was an amazing yeah, experience. Totally but that, that's a good, that's a great memory. Um, so uh, a, lo a lot of the um, questions that I had for people, uh, one of the things was how's the food? Because obviously I'm, I'm a, everybody's a big food eater, but I'm ex extremely high on, I need a good food experience. Uh, Y'all said don't expect much, so I didn't. But I would say that I thought the food was great. Um, there's a couple things that I didn't like were fries. If you get fries regular, it, you're getting fries cut and thrown in with nothing on them. So if you like that, you like it. But I started to get cheese on top, and it changed the week for me. So, and I even got one of your buddies, Chris Beer, 
who is a member at Murray and has gone plenty of times. And he's like, wait a minute, let me try that. And and his life was changed forever too. But uh, I thought everything was great. I had fish and chips for the first time at uh, the small. Well, you real fish and chips. Real. No, I mean, I have never had fish and chips before. No way. So I've had it one time and it was at the hotel uh, that you guys said, this has the best fish and chips. So I don't know if I can ever get fish and chips again unless I go back there because it was amazing. Um, um, well, how did you like the fish and chips at Kimberly Inn? Or is that the one? Is that's that the one, yeah, the Kimberly Inn. Yeah. So, Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a great point, Hayden. You know, that's one of the experiences that if you're up that way, we recommend you go to an out-of-the-way place like Findhorn, this little town in northern yeah. Scotland with the Kimberly Inn. The food there was incredible. It's the best fish and chips I've had by a mile. The yeah. fish is so big, it's falling off the plate. You get peas, which is really uh, <laughs> great. Jeff uh, gets the peas. Well, no, that was Chris. Chris yeah, I love peas. the peas. But, yeah, so the food across the region, across the British Isles, the one thing I would recommend is that you eat locally, right? Like in Ireland, um, you get a lot of lamb. In Scotland, you get a lot of salmon and seafood. Um, in England, it seems like they have a lot of beef, and the same is true in in Wales. But uh, they have great fresh produce over there. They've got wonderful meat. They've got wonderful uh, poultry and and seafood and wild game. And so, what we recommend is that you eat the local food, and you know, don't eat hamburgers. Yeah. Which might be your nat- natural inclination. I guess once in a while is not bad, but the food there is great. Breakfast is typically included. You'll get a full Irish, English, or Scottish, or Welsh breakfast, which is typically um, eggs of your choice, sausage, bacon, blood sausage, fried tomatoes, and baked beans, or some variety of that uh, with toast and coffee. Um you know that's really good, um, but you can One only thing, do that. you can only yeah. do that for so long. One of the things, Hayden, we discovered at Dunbarney was the bacon roll, which is yes. like you talk about life changing. <laughs> that's the most amazing thing I may have ever had. I know you were talking about it for weeks. Yeah, um, but in Scotland you can get haggis. I mean, haggis balls were good. I, I really enjoyed. You want to try those? Yeah. Uh, one thing, um, I, I, another thing we noticed were, was obviously you already knew this, but when we went to visit Castle Stewart's um, clubhouse, you go in and it, you, you think like you're going into a country club in in Alabama or, or Atlanta, and they have I see burgers and onion rings. So yeah. you go to the, go to those courses where it's more um, Americans. They're gonna give you American style food. So yeah. that's a great comment. Particularly in Scotland, where they go out of their way to um, treat Americans well, they've really tried to woo Americans to play over there. So when you go to Trump um, International there, when you go to Castle Stewart, Kings Barnes, Dunbarney, Dundonald, they've really built an experience for Americans, and you can get American-style food. The Dunbegin in St. Andrews caters to Americans. So my recommendation is to... Um, you know, eat the local stuff. Even at the Dunvegan, you can get a hamburger, but you can also get a great fish and chips. I had a wonderful steak pie during the open there, if you remember. Um, so yeah. that was excellent. The food, 
the food throughout the British Isles is very good. I forgot one other point I wanted to make there. What's happened in the last 25 years since I started going, where the food really did have a poor reputation across that region, is that the whole culinary experience around the world has changed. There's a lot more fusion, right? Fusion of cultures and cuisines and chef, more chefs available and creativity has, has gone into the menus um, in the major cities throughout the British Isles. And that's raised the expectations of people across that area. So even in small towns, you can get very good food. So, and, and, and the other thing that you can get across that region Obviously, a lot of people from India have settled there, uh, so you get amazing Indian food. But uh, there's a Chinese place in a small village that we went to uh, with a local a Chinese family with amazing Chinese food. So, you know, enjoy thing, the, enjoy the the food in Scotland. One thing, one way that you can never go wrong is is steak. If you're a red meat lover, you can get steak almost anywhere meat pie whatever uh the beef is good <laughs> so yeah i agree with you. we agree. we visited a local butcher right and bought about what was it 150 pounds worth of red meat and cooked it all and ate right. it throughout the rest of the three days we were there yeah when he says 150 pounds he means pound sterling the money not 150 oh yeah yeah sorry right. currency 50 150 pounds so yeah. that was a good night um so when you're planning a trip, uh, do you like to book everything for the customers as in um, every minute of the day, throughout the day? What do you suggest? Yeah, that's a really good question. We have clients who, who, who would like us to do that. Um, and they're typically people who want to play a lot of golf, 36 a day and or want every minute planned. And what we like to talk about is we want to build in time for self-discovery where you discover your favorite village or your favorite pub or your fa favorite restaurant. And that you really allow serendipity to come into play that, you know, you can't legislate fun and um, sending you to all of our favorite places may seem like a good idea, but we'd love for you to find a place on your own and come back and tell us about it so that we can send other people there. But, you know, um, some of the, the funnest things that we did on that trip were restaurants we stumbled into or, um, you know, places that we weren't aware of that we stopped at. You know, we find that to be uh, more fun. So allow time for serendipity would be a big, um, a big tip from us. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> when we were just walking around St. Andrews, uh, we didn't have a plan. We were just walking around. Uh, there's so many different shops and experiences, um, different coffee shops, bookshop, yeah. whiskey shop that you want to go into and see all the different whiskeys they have, cigars. Um, you want to experience it. So sometimes just don't have a plan. Just just walk around the, the town. Exactly. Enjoy the people and the culture. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, how would you describe... Um, what makes Royal Links golf tours different from other tour operators? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with what we've been talking about. The amount of experience that we have um, in planning people's trips, the number of times that um, 
that we've taken people there the number of times I've been. Um, and we, we built the company on the notion that it's not just about the golf, that the, you know, I saw something the other day, I heard this quote and um, I think it was from a book. And I think it was called the big panda and there's a panda walking and it's got a mini dragon riding on its back. And the dragon says, what's more important, the journey or the destination? And the panda says, the company, right? Think about that. So the company that you keep, right? So how fun would that our trip have been without um, the six guys that we had, right? It would have been completely different. The company was excellent, right? Yeah. And so um, we want to we wanna help create unforgettable trips for everyone by building in serendipity by sending you to time-proven places, by making sure that we take all the worry away so that you can enjoy the company that you're with and not have to worry about what we're worrying about behind the scenes to make sure that your trip goes off flawlessly and seamlessly. So <clears throat> we pride ourselves on building excellent experience-based trips, right? That we want to create a great experience. Whether that experience, that, and that experience starts with you and I, from the moment we talk to people through when they return. We want it to be an amazing experience, not just good, but um, and not just great, but unforgettable and amazing. Yes. I think one one thing that I that I love um, is that we're not just going to throw an itinerary at you, say this is the trip that you know we have, um, this is what we want you to do, it's this price, and we send you. Uh, we give you a very, um, you know, here's the course, here's the day, here's the tour. And then we're going to go through, you know, five, six, seven times. We're going to change things every single day until it's perfect for you guys and you guys feel comfortable with it. And I love that because um, it makes the customer feel very um, comfortable with where what they're doing because it's, you know, it's their money and, and we should, you know, customize it to what they want and their needs. Yeah. Yeah. There are multiple iterations. We want, we want the client to have input onto the, um, onto their, it's their trip. Um, we, we do want them to uh, use our expertise, but ultimately they're the customer. They make the decisions. We can strongly recommend why they should or shouldn't do something, but ultimately it's their choice. We want to make them happy. That's, that's what we want to do. And most of the time they're, they're saying whatever you think. Um, and that's, that's most of the time, but sometimes right. somebody wants a certain type of food, certain type of hotel, and we completely, you know, understand and we're, we're ready to give them exactly what they're wanting, the change that they want. So, um, yeah, we got, we, we, we got two new clients today. Uh, one of them, um, was very heavily involved in making lots of changes you know, why are the courses in a different order? What if we did this? What if we did that? And he apologized for being a pain in the butt. He said, hey, this is your trip. You're not a pain in the butt. We'll get it right. Took multiple iterations. The other client just said, like, where do we send the check? <laughs> what you've got is fine with us. If you recommend it, that's good enough. Yeah, We're, we're happy either way. As long as the client's happy, we're happy. 
Nice. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, what we have coming up as for podcasts. I know we've taken a, a little break. Uh, we had the trip to Scotland, so um, we we wanted to talk about that, and we have a couple people lined up. Um, talk about a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about who we've got coming up and some of the ideas that we have. So uh, next week, we've got – we're going to uh, – well, this week we'll – you're, you're obviously listening to us today. Next week, we're going to have Vince Cellini, uh, a sportscaster who uh, is a national sportscaster. He's an amazing guy. Uh, he's become a friend of ours, and he's uh, on the Golf Channel. He's been on – he's broadcast NFL games, Super Bowl games. The big break. NBA games, the big break, World Series, you name it. He's fantastic. And then we also have uh, Chris Fear who is a uh, repeat client of ours. We're going to have him on. Uh, We've got a couple of weeks. We'll be doing a podcast with a doctor from Cincinnati who we met on our trip in St. Andrews. Four times. (laughs) Yeah, we ran into him multiple times. His name's Dr. Clyde Henderson. He's a uh, orthopedic surgeon, recently retired, and he has... Uh, played golf in all 50 states, and he's played golf on six of the seven continents. And one of those continents that he's played on is the one you would least expect someone to have ever played golf on, but he's done it. So he'll have some fascinating stories. And um, then we've got a uh, another one with Hayden and I on planning hacks, how to make an amazing trip uh, the next time you go to, to uh, the British Isles. So that's what we have coming up. Yeah, so uh, look forward to those in the next coming weeks. We'll be back to weekly podcast, and uh, we appreciate you guys coming on today. Uh, is there any last words from you, Jeff? Hey, we uh, we're very busy right now. We're very busy right now. The reason that we're very busy is that there's a lot of pent up demand for um, the British Isles for this year, next year, even the year after the pandemic, which boarded all of us from traveling for a couple of years. Uh, his The floodgates have opened. Everyone's traveling again. So if you think about two years of pent-up demand plus the demand for this year, you're trying to squeeze three years of travel into one year, the demand into one year. So naturally that spills over into next year. And, you know, uh, we, we, we literally have a lot of trips planned. We're in the planning process for next year. We've got uh, at least five on the books for 2024 and three for 2025. So people are booking out multiple years in advance. So um, when you're ready to talk, so are we. Yeah, and that's a that's a good point to end us off. Um, how early do you suggest starting the planning process? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, right now it's August. Uh, by the time, yeah, this will probably air September 1st or so. And um, if you wanted to go next spring in a shoulder season, we could we can work with people to get them in in, in the April May time frame or in the September October time frame. But um, uh, June, July, and August are extremely extremely tight with tea times and accommodations and everything that goes with that. So um, 
typically what we would like to see is 15 months. And we're not saying that for our benefit. We're saying that for your benefit. So as an example, if you wanted to go to um, England in 2024 in the spring, then let's start talking in February and March of next year, 2023. So the point is, these things come up on us pretty rapidly. So you want to yeah. you want to start the planning process early. We're running into problems where um, somebody has come to us literally last month. They wanted to go to Ireland next year. And we looked at the courses that, in the area that they wanted to go, and we did not find any tee times. Right. Um, so next year is very, very tight. Um, if you're going this year, you know, England, Wales would be a good idea, but uh, okay. Scotland and the popular parts of Ireland are, are going to be a no-go. Uh, so that's why we've started a lot of trips into 2024. Exactly. Thank you guys again for joining us. Um, like we said, we have some uh, good good podcast guests that, that are in line the next couple weeks. Uh, and then if you are thinking about planning um, and you want to go in 2023, now is the last time. We'll see if we can find a, a couple spots for you guys that still have tea times. Um, but 2024 is where we're uh, basically starting our, our planning right now. And uh, he said, you know, January, February would be a good time to reach out. Um, or if you wanted to get some uh, budget ideas, we're, we're doing that with a couple people right now as well. So um, thank you guys again for, for joining in and uh, we'll see you next week.